0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Breadwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. All right, today we're going to be looking at uh, James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8, How your trials can reveal Christ. This is something that's revealed in James in such a wonderful way that he tells us that when God allows trials in our life, it's he is exercising his sovereign will, in order to increase our ability to reveal Christ to this world who needs to see him so badly. I'm going to read to you the text we're going to look at. as verses 2 through 8 of James 1. This is what it says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, which means the refining of your faith, produces endurance. But you must let endurance finish its work, and he says it, so that it have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, And he goes on, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And what he's talking about is if you who are in under trials, when you're going through difficult times and you lack wisdom, you don't know exactly what you should do. He says, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That expression, the God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you is an expression. It's almost like a title of God. This is who God is. He is the God who gives to all generously without reproach. Reproach means making you feel guilty for asking. So he's saying, no, he doesn't reproach you. And he's talking about asking for wisdom in the midst of trials. What should I do? How should I respond to this? But he goes on, he says, but he must ask in faith. We have to ask believing that God knows how to do this, that we we trust that he is sovereign over all things. So he says, he must ask in faith without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, and actually that's a translation of expression, which means a two-souled man. In other words, his heart is captured by two different things, and they're in opposition to each other. Being a two-souled man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Now, what he means by that, the person who's in humble circumstances has received a high position because he put his faith in Christ, so he's exalted in Christ. But then he goes on, he says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. In other words, he's saying the person who's exalted and lifted up, when he humbles himself by believing in Christ, he is actually, he's he's experiencing a wonderful, wonderful blessing it was unlikely that a man who has everything would humble himself and bow the knee and put his faith in Christ. But that's exactly what happens. And he goes on, he says, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So when we go through trials, God is not tempting us to sin. He's not taking us to see if we really have faith. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it it brings forth death. And so he does not tempt us. He is not tempting us by these trials. He's bringing these trials on for a good reason. And the very first thing that he issue that he really talks about in verses two and four is that our need to see that your trials are an opportunity to reveal Christ. This is a life-changing truth that God has this purpose in his heart. Whatever God allows to come into your life, it's a part of his good purpose and plan in conforming you into the image of Christ and making you more fit to to proclaim Christ in your life. One of the promises to a disciple of Jesus is everything that befalls you is a part of the process of revealing Jesus in you. In fact, Romans 8.26 says the Spirit helps our weakness. You remember that passage, and he says... When he intercedes for us, he it's with groanings that are too deep for words. But he goes on to tell us that what's good about that is the father understands the spirit. So the spirit is communicating his deeply felt need in your life, what needs to happen in your life. And the father understands what he is asking for. James begins by reminding them that God has allowed troubles to come upon them for a purpose. But this purpose will only be accomplished when they respond to their troubles as God has called them to. We proclaim the gospel in a way that you respond to your troubles. In other words, is God almighty? I remember watching on TV one time a man that was uh, had a very serious illness, and he was bedfast, fast. And uh, they were interviewing him, and the woman said to him, What is it that gives you the most hope? Because he had a disease there was no cure for. And he said that God is sovereign. And she was blown away by that. She couldn't understand what he was saying. What do you mean that God is sovereign? He says, well, that means that God is in control of all things. Why would that comfort you? Because I know God's heart. I have faith in God. And therefore, I know that when he allows these kinds of things to happen to me, it's not because he doesn't love me, but because he does love me. James, Peter, and Paul all have a deep conviction that our troubles are always under the providential control of a God who is working out his loving plan for his people. God allows us to go through trouble because he has a good purpose in our life. So what are we supposed to do when trouble comes? Well, in verse 2, it tells us we should consider it all joy. Now, notice a few things about that expression. It is when, not if. It, you are going to fall into trials, but we should consider it. We sh- and consider it means to think about it, to evaluate it, to see it as it really is. And so we are to see it as something that should produce joy. And then he uses a word, encounter, whenever you encounter it, fall into the hands of someone or thing, be seized. When we are seized by difficulties, we should consider it joy. That's really difficult, isn't it? That we fall into a situation that's very hard, and he tells us we should count it as joy. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And it's that word, the word fell is this word, peripipto. It means he fell down, and was was uh, held captive. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And this is what he's saying about our trials. When we encounter trials, when trials take hold of us, because it, it's expressing something that's painful. In fact, the word trials here, pyros mas, means to be hurt. I, I used to use a mnemonic device to remember this Greek term when I was in seminary. And it was the term uh, pyrex, because I remembered that pyrex was a kind of cookery stuff that you could put over heat. And that's what this is all about. It's about being going through a painful trouble, and it hurts. And he says that what we should do is when this happens, when out of nowhere it comes, we should give God thanks because we are joyful. This is an opportunity for God to work in our life. Now, that's hard to do, but it's not impossible if we actually come to believe the truth about it, that God is bringing on an opportunity for you to be used of God to glorify his son in a very special way. And then he uses here two various trials. The word various means many kinds. There's great diversification in the way that God works. He practices it all the time, trials and grace, diversity in their trials. They experience poverty and they experience persecution. But he says God uses all kinds of things. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 37, 3 for Jacob giving Joseph a coat, a very colored coat a tunic that had all kinds of colors in it. It was an expression of his love for him. And so he's saying that we're going to experience persecutions of various kinds, for example. That's one of the varieties. And uh, their own community had turned against them. The cause of their financial problems was because of the way they were being treated by their own. Now, if you notice in in verses 5 and 6, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that's because our troubles and trials sometimes surprise us. They are completely unexpected. They go against what we assume about ourselves and what's going to happen. But what he says is that God uses various kinds of trials. He has variegated uh, ways of trying us and testing us and taking us through trouble. For example, poverty or persecution and so forth. Now, all the troubles that befall us as disciples of Jesus are are variegated. Sometimes they're satanically instigated. Sometimes they're just part of of living in a fallen world. Sometimes it's sickness or abandonment or loneliness or bereavement or disappointment or financial hardship. You don't have to think this is just Satan wanting to trip us up. Sometimes it's the Father wanting to refine us and refine our faith and to purify our faith. Now, he says, this is what you should do to, to think about trials, because he says, consider. With this calls for a thoughtful examination and evaluation that leads to a life-dominating assumption, and that is that trials, as we encounter them, are for our good, so that God can use us to show who Christ is, to glorify Jesus Christ, even we who are seem so weak and so inadequate. The conscious acceptance of a definite inner attitude is what he means when he says, consider actually speaks of being a leader it's actually a word for leadership we should consider regard think lead rule the point is not to be passive but to be very active actually take up this way of evaluating things take the lead in how to view these things this isn't the end of the world this is the beginning of a, an exciting phase in your world when god is going to use you to display the glory of his son That's what he tells us that is true about it. And so instead of being all upset, which is my way of handling trials, we should be excited about what is going to happen. What does God have in store for us? And he says, he uses the expression, all joy, it's translated in in the New American Standard. This suggests intensity. That's what this word does, the Greek word, complete and unmixed joy, not exclusivity, nothing but joy. So we can have sadness and fear and perplexity, but there should always be thoughtful joy. Even though I hate this, it's so wonderful that God would choose to allow me to be used by him as an instrument in leading men to come to see who Jesus Christ really is. That's his point, that trials should be an occasion for genuine rejoicing. Why? Well, he'll explain that in the next few verses, in verses 3, 4, and 12. And he talks about endurance, eternal life, And so what he's getting at is that God has a purpose in his trials, and it's a good purpose. It's a purpose that's going to bless us. Now, this isn't a mind game when he says, consider it all joy. It is believing the truth. In verse 3, he says, because you know, because you know that the testing of your faith reduces endurance. Well, how would you ever know that? Well, you would only know it by reading the Word of God, because that's what the Word of God interprets those things as there the testing of our faith produces endurance endurance means you're able to continue to function to love god and believe god even when there are troubles there are all kinds of reasons to no longer trust him and he says what we have to do is we have to acknowledge god's purpose in your trouble in order to do that he says because you know the testing of your faith is what he talks about here and the word that he uses is is fairly rare in the new testament but what it's talking about it's talking about the refining of gold or the refining of silver. And the way this worked, and I'm sure you've heard about this before, that, th- that gold and silver would be refined by putting it over fire. And when it melted, then they would be able to separate the gold or the silver from that which polluted it. So disciples run the risk of suddenly being surrounded by trials, which have as their purpose the testing of faith. And they need to be endured, not run from. We're not to run from them. We're not to try to escape them. We are to ask God to give us the grace to go through them and to see them fulfill their purpose in our life. God's purpose in your trials is this. First, to reveal the true nature of your present faith. Now, this is usually the most painful part of a trial, It's finding out that our faith is such as it is, that we find out how weak we are in our faith. But it also, uh, this testing of our faith produces endurance. It works out or achieves endurance in us. The ability to love God, our faith gets stronger. It gets more pure so that it can stand the testing of it. And when things go bad, we don't fall apart. We don't flee from Christ. We understand that he is using us, and sometimes that causes us pain. He he uses an expression here, hupomone, which means to abide under pressure, to function under pressure. To be able to be faithful under pressure, it must finish its work so that we, by nature, will become complete, not lacking anything. D.A. Carson says, The alternative to this is a personality that may love the Lord when things are going well, a character that is bold and happy on bright days in the spring, but knows little of steadfastness under duress when things are tough, of contentment when physical comforts are withdrawn, a quiet confidence in the living God when faced with persecution of stability in the midst of a frenetic pace or a massive disappointment. In other words, in a fallen world, perseverance contributes maturity and stability to our character, and trials build perseverance. Perseverance means we continue uh, through difficult times, and we trust Christ in ways that we had never trusted him before. And we're able to communicate the truth about him, when he says let endurance finish its work he means let it finish the process of conforming us let this this endurance this need to endure through difficult times as god's planned purpose of conforming us and making us like christ and so we understand that we are complete in christ regardless of the present circumstances and the reason for that is that christ is in you in romans chapter 5 it says that we rejoice in this that that uh, We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. What that means is the Bible says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. When he says you are in Christ, he says it's the hope of glory. What he means by that is Christ in us is changing us. His presence in us is changing us and maturing us as followers of Jesus. And so what he's telling us is we have to allow this endurance to finish its work in us. And so we don't run from the troubles and the trials. We practice faith in the midst of them. So true holiness is more than being a decent, good, ethical, and upright person. The psalmist says we should worship God in the beauty of holiness. Did you know this? This is kind of strange, but it says that God is committed to making you beautiful. This is Psalm 149, 4. It says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. This is the kind of holiness that God uses to draw people to himself. Holiness is wholeness and not weirdness. It says that that we are not allowed to be self-righteous, rigid, loveless, humorless folks who never crack a smile, who can't laugh. When believers respond to the trials with confidence in God and determination to endure so that they can be more effective in serving Christ, they move toward a wholeness of Christian character that is beautiful in the sight of God. Now, God says he's making you beautiful in his eyes because he sees your heart. He sees what's going on inside. And so this is what we should do. We're told in verses 5 through 8, we should seek wisdom from God. Now, what he's saying there is that God is the one who gives liberally and does not upbraid us. He doesn't complain that we're asking, but he wants to give us exactly what we need. Those are inspiring words, but it's kind of like the marriage vows we utter, easier said than done. Why won't we always handle our trouble this way when it comes on us? Well, it's because we're broken. We should become aware of that. The reason that we don't always do what we know we should do is because we are broken. But there is one who has done it. It was found in Hebrews chapter twelve, two, and also in five, seven. It says this: Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now you talk about a trial. Jesus went to the cross, and it says he endured it, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he tells us to fix our eyes on him. He's the perfecter of our faith. And it was because of the joy set before him. And you think, well, what was the joy? It was all pain and agony. But the joy was doing the will of the Father and purchasing us as his people. And then we're told in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications, supplications being my felt needs, the thing that I feel I need the most. We offered up both prayers. He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. He's talking about the Father. The Father could have saved him from death, and he did. He raised him up, and he was heard because of his piety, his godliness. Isaiah 52:12 says, "But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go out as fugitives." God's not going to let you be destroyed. He's not going to let you be ruined. He simply wants you to trust him so much. That you're willing to go through the trial and that God could use the trial to display the glory of his son. And he says here in Isaiah 52 that the reason we can do this is that the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your your rear guard. He's going to guard you and watch over you. So we never have to be defensive because we believe God's opinion. And God says, This is good. I look at it and say, This doesn't look good to me. But God says, This is good. It will enable you to glorify my son. And so you can only do this as you are fixing your eyes on Jesus, that's what he says in Hebrews twelve two, and drawing near with confidence to the Father, coming to him who can give you rest. That's what we're told in Matthew eleven twenty eight about Jesus. As you are doing that, you will be able to say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We rarely think about that verse referring to our suffering. We think about it referring to our playing ball and winning a game. But what that passage is talking about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is I can even suffer like Jesus. I can go through suffering. I can go through hardship, and I can, I can get through things that I don't think I can get through if I just trust him, and if I am willing to be used by God to glorify his son. And that's what troubles are for. They are so that we could put on display the glory of Jesus Christ. That's how your trials can reveal Christ, because we can see Christ plainly when a person is suffering. We can always see Christ at work in a life when everything is going smooth and good and easy. But when we are going through trouble and we continue to love him and trust him in the midst of our trouble, it displays the glory of Christ. And then people want to know, why are you willing to do this? Well, we are willing to do this because Jesus is glorious and we know he's glorious. And so we want our lives to prove it by the way that we respond to life's troubles so this is what we do. We consider it joy when it falls upon us because we understand that trials are our opportunity to reveal Christ. And we know that God's going to take us through it. We can lean on him and trust him. And he can use us even through our weakness and our trouble because he is the glorious God of the universe. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that you have chosen to use troubles in our life. We we thank you that you've chosen to use trials that we have often pray that you would save us from and keep us from. But we thank you for them because they are opportunities to display the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would work in us. We pray, oh, Father, that you would, uh, because we understand this and know this from your word, that we would actually see these troubles coming as a source of great joy because you are at work and you're using even us. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen